this is Listeners and welcome to another episode of Warp Celluloid. I'm your host Jack Rourke with my co-host Chandler Williams. How's it going, Chandler? What's what's new? What's new in the neighborhood? Nothing much. I'm uh, back in my apartment and I'm looking forward to school starting. Honestly, I got a summer job and uh, you know it's a summer job, but uh, doing good. How are you, Jack? I'm doing quite all right. So I've got a few plans myself, but all will be revealed in due time. Awesome. But before we get to before we get to today's episode, we got a few matters to address. We originally had something else planned for this episode, but uh, <laughs> didn't turn out the way we expected it to, or more so I expected it to. I'll take the blame on that. Yeah, we originally had a different film we were going to talk about, but uh, we both just Richard decided Kelly's Southland Tales, which was well, its reputation is well earned. Let's just say leave it at that. <laughs> I like the Kiss Me Deadly homage in the opening. That was cool. It's an old uh, film noir. I saw the opening scene playing on one of the TVs in the background. That was kind of nifty. I like the music. That's the only thing I really yeah. enjoyed about the movie. It does reuse that killer song really well. I'll say that. Everything yeah, but it's is... so out of place. Like it's just a yeah. weird Justin Timberlake. <laughs> it's like someone saw like RoboCop and Starship Troopers and thought I could do that and used it as like all the weights of a teenage anarchist. I I, I liked a few things about it. Um. I mean, I like the critique of the Patriot Act, um, but that's about it. And the music. I mean, the I rest it, just made me sad. For better or for worse, it's a time capsule of its moment in time. That's Indeed. Kind of 2006, I think. Yeah, it is the most mid-2000s thing outside of, I don't know, Domino, which, <laughs> funny enough, was also written by Richard Kelly, but directed by Tony Scott and is probably the better movie for it. Anyway. And don't get me wrong, I love Donnie Darko, one of my favorites, but uh, yep. he just dropped the ball on yeah. this one. Have you seen The Box? It's a thriller he did with uh, James Marsden, Frank Langell, and Cameron Diaz, which he did after this, and that thus far it's the last thing he's directed. I have not. It didn't look that That's appealing. Okay. I you think the it? only thing notable about it is it's one of the only movies to get an F cinema score grade. Oh, wow. It's weird, because it wasn't that well, re- that poorly reviewed, actually. It's more mixed. Did not it's based on a Richard Matheson story, so I've been always been kind of curious to check it out. Maybe I might check it out the list in a couple weeks. Who knows? And Anyways. We, all right, that, apologies for the de- several delays. We've been trying to rework the schedule for the show, for the show over the summer and until we get back to sc- college and everything can go back to normal. Yeah, we'll get on track. Things have been just a little crazy. Real life gets in the way more than we want it to, but, you know, you got to deal. Anyway, what will we talk about today? Today we'll be talking about Vanilla Sky. Wake up, David. 
There's an explanation for all this, David. You know, it's funny we uh, started out talking about Southland Hills because I think this is kind of like the good version of something like that. That where it embodies its moment in time and it has a lot to say about co- modern society. Less about politics, but more the way people who interact with each other and uh, how they see themselves in their own heads and their own history. That's a great way to put it. Yep. I'd also say it's uh, got better use of Radiohead than uh, Southland Hills did. Definitely. Yeah, I'd love to talk about the music later on. Um, yeah. I certainly have a lot to say about that. Um, Cameron Crowe is an interesting case because he was a music reporter for Rolling Stone before he became a filmmaker, and even ro- that his I think he's one of the best uh, filmmakers in terms of using music because one of the things that annoys me in movies is when uh, they do needle drops, but but they only do it as like wallpaper, like it's clearly there just to have background noise and not to actually enhance the scene. I get that and appreciate that. Um, I feel like there was a lot of great needle drops that really set a great tone throughout Absolutely. this film. Absolutely, that's, that's but why I, felt, I think Cameron Crowe was an exception. Oh yeah, but I felt like it was excessive, especially towards the latter half. Um, I feel like he was just trying to set things up for a needle drop. Yeah, I and can't blame him. Jump, jumping all over the place with uh, so many different songs, which to me got a little annoying. Um, it reminded me of the opening in Suicide Squad. Oh yeah, I don't think it's that bad because woof, they literally just went needle drop after needle drop after needle drop within like a ten minute time. And like, okay, man, slow down. And I was one of the few people who liked Suicide Squad. Not so much now. I mean, still think it's a mess, but I used to enjoy, get a kick out of it. It was entertaining, the first watch. I'm more excited for James Gunn's version, honestly. Oh, yes, yes. We'll definitely be seeing that. But that is another for another day. Back to Cameron Crowe. I think the guy has a better, more interesting relationship to music than a lot of other filmmakers working. I agree. I, and I'm especially sure. seeing um, Almost Famous. That's the only other Cameron Crowe movie I've seen, actually. Ditto. That and the one with uh, Matt Damon where they uh, got a zoo... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's I saw good. that in theaters, but I haven't seen it since. Who knows what holds up, but I liked it at the time. Almost Famous, though, I did a double feature of that and Vanilla Sky, and that was a very pleasant evening. Have you, had you not seen um, Almost Famous prior? Actually, no. This is the first time I watched. Nice. Well, uh, stylistically, it, you know, of course, reminded me of Almost Famous because, you know, Cameron Crowe. But, uh, no, I, I, I enjoyed this too. film. He was speaking of his relationship to music. Uh, his his then wife uh, Nancy Wilson. She was one of the lead singers of the band Heart, and uh, they they were married until like 2010, and she did the music for a lot of his movies. There's like the score, right? Not the soundtrack. Oh, nice. She did Vanilla Sky and Almost Famous. I'm pretty sure she did Jerry Maguire, but don't quote me on that. I think speaking of uh, going back to Land Hills one more time is that. That had some very obvious sci-fi influences, and this does too. But instead of Paul Verhoeven, I'd say this is more owed to, say, Philip K. Dick. I'm familiar with Philip K. Dick, but not... um... Paul Verhoeven is the guy who made Robocop. Okay, okay. Basic Instinct, Starship Troopers. He did a lot of great uh, Danish movies, though. I think... No, not Danish. Dutch. Yeah, it's Dutch. Movies that were really boundary-pushing and edgy. Not all of them sci-fi. Most of them were uh, crime and war dramas. Interesting. Stuff like uh, Soldier of Orange, Turkish Delight, that kind of... The Fourth Man, which is a movie that I can't find and I'm determined to watch. If not just because of that really cool poster. I've heard of The Fourth Man. Back to Cameron Crowe. Uh, 
a lot of people, I think the funniest thing I've heard is, one, there's a lot of Total Recall comparisons, and two, this is basically just Jerry Maguire if we weren't supposed to like Tom Cruise. <laughs> I could see that, yeah. What do you think about Tom Cruise's character? I like it. Or maybe not like him in the sense, but I think it's well-written. And I find it fascinating that a lot of the characters Tom Cruise plays is just Tom Cruise. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's especially, especially the <laughs> Mission Impossible movies. Oh, yes, yes. Those really are... I like the Mission Impossible movies because that is really a character that is nothing without Tom Cruise. Not because he has a lot of personality, because each or in the movie kind of embodies what we perceive Tom Cruise as in the moment in time. Exactly. I mean, like in the mid '90s, he's one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. Two thousand or in two thousand with Mission Impossible Two, he really wants to be seen as cool. Mission Impossible Three, he wants to be normal. Mission Impossible Four onward, he just excel or acknowledges that he's just a crazy person. <laughs> he a man who is willing to die. For our entertainment. Tom Cruise, the movie. Yep. I, I, Tom for... Cruise commits su- and tries to commit suicide, part seven. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing a movie in space with Elon Musk now, which... Wow. Okay, I will pay, I will pay top dollar just to see me on that set. It must be amazing. I would love to be, like, a PA on that set. I'm like, I would just be, like, a, be like a fly on the wall just to see what kind of crazy shit they think of. Oh, yeah. Or, like, a, a BTS photographer. Oh, yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. Well, in this film, I um, definitely, I, mean, I wouldn't say I liked his character. I mean, it, it was it was just Tom Cruise to me. Um, Tom Cruise being... The guy is incredibly selfish at points. Or yeah. Points, I think this... Tom, just Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise. Yeah, which I don't mind. I I've, I think it's the Mission Impossible movies that finally got me on board with it. That and Risky Business was one I... Mm, I, I really want to watch Risky Business. I can't defend him as a person, but I find his career and his approach to acting really fascinating. I respect that opinion. Anyways, what else did you find interesting about this film, Jack? I think the dreamlike quality is what I like the most about it, because I can't think of another movie from now or back then that's like this, at this level, with this much money, with this much star power behind it. I liked the bit of dreamlike quality that I saw, but there wasn't enough for me. It didn't, it wasn't dreamlike enough for you yeah it it could have honestly um i really liked the latter half um when it explored like the you know the lucid dreaming um and the virtual reality stuff yeah yeah the, the whole black mirror afterlife world i really enjoyed that but like with uh what i said about until the end of the world it just felt like he was trying to make two different movies at points um fair it's one of those movies i think when I first saw when I saw it, the only thing I knew about it is Tom Cruise, Cameron Crowe, and it's one of those movies that's legendary because you haven't really seen it until you've seen it twice, which mm, I've only seen it yeah. once before now, but I'm like, I'm really curious to see how this holds up on a second watch, see if I can pick up any clues in the background. I would like to see this film again, yeah. Because there is one scene in particular that I think marks the shift. It's the part where he's running out of that party with the mask and he wakes up in an alleyway and Penelope Cruz shows up. I mean, oh, yeah. Like, like late 90s early 2000s music video like it's clearly unreal there's i think that's their first clue or including it's a really subtle clue too but not in the cryptic look how smart i am kind of but more like just dropping little hints yeah yeah i i think i would have liked this film so much more if i had not seen black mirror and, and been introduced to the uh life extension you know digital uh cryogenic life what have you um i think i like this one a little more because of its sense of optimism well relatively speaking because there are some dark corners this movie goes to yeah there is i I, well i really like that aspect that brought um 
I, I like the dark quality. I think it coalesces in the end. Like, I mean, they really nail it. I mean, like, everything coalesces, everything makes sense, and I honestly felt satisfied. I, I'll, I'll need to watch it again to feel completely satisfied. Especially because um, things like this can be really easy to get wrong. Like, case in point, uh, what's the name of the dude in the, I think it's the third Matrix movie, the old man in the white suit who's standing from all those TV monitors that basically explains what the hell's been going on the whole time? It's like the architect. The, I think the architect of America Vengian is one of his name. Oh, one yeah. Either way, that's an example of getting it wrong. This, I think, is an example of getting it right. Yeah, I could see that. I, I still need to rewatch um, just one time the uh, the Matrix sequels. Um, I don't hate them. I don't love them. And then again, I also don't think the Animatrix is the best movie in this entire one. The animated spinoff that came out uh, same year. I would like to see that. It's um, really cool. It's one of the best animated movies of the 2000s, I think. Yeah, I remember you telling me about it. Um, the, 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 the first Matrix sequel, I felt like had a, one or two redeeming scenes in it. That. Um, oh, yeah, that car chase on the freeway is amazing. Yeah, and when he's fighting all the other... Uh, oh, yeah, the, uh, the clones. Oh, yeah, was that, the, was that Reloaded or was that a Revolution? No, that was Reloaded. No, was yeah. Right. For some reason, I'm thinking of the fight in the rain from the third one. Anyways, what about the cameos in this film? I enjoyed that. I'm trying to think. I know Jason Lee shows up. I know Cameron Diaz. I'm trying to think of who else. Steven Spielberg. Oh wait, where was he? I remember he was a part. I think he was a party goer. Yeah, he was. I think my favorite Spielberg cameo was probably uh, well, screw it, was it? Was it Gremlins? That was what it was. Where he's the guy on the recumbent bicycle riding through the phone booth at the time. Oh, nice. I love I... that they also used Robbie the robot in the background. That's just nice. Nice. Um, I'm looking at uh, the letterbox of this film right now. You know it's a 2000s movie when Jason Lee yeah. is I in it. Yeah. I think was working with him quite a bit because I know he was in all of Most Famous. He was one of the Stillwater guys. Yep. He was also I, a Kevin Smith alum, too, if I'm not mistaken. I just think of the uh, Alvin and the Chickmunks movie. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. Don't. But I have not, like, he's not in any movie past 2010, basically. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? It is weird. What, what, how do celebrities do that? I what he's doing. Like, some actor, like, I remember uh, Coppola, when he retired from filmmaking, was, became a winemaker. He does. I have a bottle of his wine. Speaking of which, I, I was actually going grocery shopping a couple days before uh, I, I watched this, and on the radio, Paul McCartney's song for the movie, which actually got nominated for an Oscar, fun fact, which kind of won, because it's a really nice little tune. Yeah. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the music a lot in this film. I think the way it was used to like that Chemical Brothers track "Where Do I Begin" is really fitting. I think in terms of fitting, or in fitting in terms of mood and narrative and theme, as well as also, the spiritualized yeah. um, song towards the end when he's like, right, walking out of, out of the elevator. That's that's a that's a great underrated, yeah. basically one hit wonder which song. I, that moment I mentioned earlier. That's the kind of the dividing line of here's the reality, here's fantasy. The, there's a REM song that I think is perfect, kind of Cameron Crowe's vision of the world. Oh, there was... There's, at least cinematically. I feel like there's two or three REM songs. Yeah, there's Sweetness Follows, All of My Friends... I think it's called All of My Friends. I know there's a few others. REM... I still really love a, that use of everything in its right place at the beginning. That is... Oh, yeah. Really good placement. REM is, I think, such an underrated band. I do, too. And uh, I appreciate that he included two of their songs. I'm not sure if I told the story before uh, during the end of the Silver Lake episode, but I never was a fan of R.E.M. until I got into college. 
Really? For one very specific reason. In 11th and 12th grade, I had an art teacher. She would always play 90s music. And Losing My Religion came on every single time. <laughs> I hated that song so much that I'm like, no, I'm never trying this. You scared me away. And then I came back around with it. I'm like, no, I was wrong. This is a really cool band. I grew up with R.E.M. Basically, my uh, parents went to the same college as them, like right as they really? graduated. Yeah. And so my dad saw them a few times um, at college, which I think is awesome. Yeah. So I've always listened to them. But uh, I actually rewatched brother, uh, Under the Silver Lake. He had a friend that uh, ran into Michael Stipe on a flight once. Oh, nice. That's cool. I actually rewatched yep. Under the Silver Lake last night and saw um, or just listened to the R.E.M. songs that they had in there. You got the score on vinyl, if I'm not mistaken. I do. Probably gonna else. probably gonna listen to it today. I'll loan it to you. Oh, nice. I like Tom Cruise in general. Like, I think he's a really interesting as like a movie star who's very conscious of its present, or that tries to be the best entertainer he can be. Like, I mean, he he's ego driven, but he's kind of fascinatingly so. You would consider him conscious of his uh, presence. Oh, absolutely. Just look at the, again. Look at that Mission Impossible example I referenced. I mean, yeah. They kind of reflect how he wants the public to see him or how he knows. And I think for Ghost Protocol onward is kind of uh, accepting. You know, that like, look, people think I'm crazy, but they still want to see movies with me. So I'm going to give them what the public wants. I mean, that's a good way to to put it. Another actor, especially in his 50s, is going to hang out of a plane (laughs) or do a halo jump or do a movie in space. Maybe Brad Pitt. Like, I respect the guy's commitment to his work. I respect. Yeah, I, 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 when, when you said that comment earlier, I thought about the, uh, did you see that interview when he was on Oprah and he like freaked out? The, the couch jumping? Yes. Yeah, I've seen it. It's about <laughs> as legendary as the Christian Bale yelling at the PA dude on the set of Terminator Salvation. It's that I'm, level of it, probably more so, honestly. I have not seen that. I think one of the scary movies did a parody of that scene, if I'm not mistaken. That is a but scary it, scene. <laughs> I mean, the less I think about those movies, the better, honestly. Yeah. The movies that, take, or that embody the worst qualities of time, yeesh. <laughs> but back to this, I think my favorite period of Tom Cruise's work is the late 90s and early 2000s, because he just started taking more chances. He did movies like I Wide Shun and Magnolia and Collateral. I mean, like, he really tried to do different out there roles for himself. I would agree. Um, Magnolia, one of my favorites. Magnolia is great. Not my favorite PTA, but it is still... I like think when I think about it, I think, yeah, that was really good. So much. I I still haven't seen I'd Was Shut, honestly. It might be my favorite Kubrick movie. Oh wow, that's that's yeah. a bold statement. It be a very specific very mood to watch, watch it. But if you're in that right mood, it will hit you the right way. That makes me want to watch it more. Two thousand one had a lot of movies that were like dream had really dreamlike, phantasmagoric uh, feels to them. Mulholland Drive, AI, Donnie Darko, Waking Life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh wow! Yeah, you're right. If you think about it, it's a movie that is perfectly of its time, and I don't. I hate the the phrase "dated" automatically means bad because I think some film is inherently a time capsule. It's exactly. I would I would completely completely agree. I feel like yeah, this this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, like I mean, it's a movie that felt co- everything must have felt like it was on the cutting edge, or at least a contemporary. Or had its hand on the pulse of what was contemporary and what was hip at the time. Like with the, the car phone in the beginning? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That one shot I just hit, or the dream shot in the opening where he's running through time, I think Times Square, 
and everything's empty and they like pull it. I don't know all that crazy camera work. It's fascinating. That was pretty impressive that they got to film that like an yeah. empty Times Square. It must have been expensive as hell, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Because New York is. You know, uh, there's actually one of the Friday the 13th movies, uh, Jason Goes Manhattan, and uh, not a lot of that movie is actually set in Manhattan. There was a very good reason for that, unfortunately, because that is a very boring movie. <laughs> Which is a shame. Although it does have Jason kicking some punks beatbox walking down the street. I mean, they try to go after him, and then he just stares them down. He's like, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. And he just walks away. Have you that seen... might be the funniest scene in the whole franchise. <laughs> Have you seen Say Anything? I have not, actually. It, I was going to watch it, but it left Hulu recently. I'm like, I'll probably rent it recently, soon. Yeah, I feel like it also, um, or at least for the clips that I've seen and what I've heard about the film, it also um, encapsulates the late 80s. Cameron Crowe is a guy who's always had his pulse, and not just with the music, who... He's been doing that even with the films he's written. Like, look at Fast Times with the pool scene. That use of moving in stereo by the cars is... It's iconic for a good reason. It's like, mm, yeah, he would be a cool guy to you know sit down and have a beer with. Yeah, I really want to track down the book that he wrote because Fast Times was him actually. Like he looks still looked young, so he blended it. So he signed up for a high school under a fake name and basically generally got to know people and tried to use it as a document of the current teenage culture. The book is out of print, and which is a shame because I'd love to track it down. Uh, yeah, that would be an interesting read. I love Fast Times. Yeah. Still probably my favorite team movies of the 80s, besides Risky Business. Also best soundtrack next to Risky Business, because that Tangerine Dream score is amazing. I can't say enough good things about it. I, going back to the second viewing, I think it would also help, I mean, be a smoother watch on a second viewing, because there's times where you're questioning and doubting what you're hearing. Exactly, especially the first, uh, the... Oh yeah, the first half, which you... I think is deliberately artificial at points, like the conversations he Tom Cruise has with Karen Diaz. Karen Diaz, it feels like very stock rom rom com dialogue. Yes, yes, unintentionally stock. I mean, that that turned me off to it. To it, I was honestly. Say, there's dialogue that feels like, wait, what? Did I hear that? It was just sounded, like, too cheesy, too goofy. There's a line before the car crash with Cameron Diaz says where he's ranting about how much of a commitment, and then he made to where that almost made me spit out my drink. Because of out out of nowhere, it came like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Wait, which did they write she that? She's like, yeah, you were inside me. I, I swallowed your. Yeah, uh, no, I'm not gonna say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, you also viewers. You probably the ending of this movie, movie would have been changed if this came out after 9/11. Mm. Like the dude jumping off the, in a tall building in New York. Like, did that hit the wrong way? Do you think that? I mean. I would not have changed it. But... I wouldn't have either, but like, do you th because I remember there was a lot of stuff that got changed because there's an entire teaser marketing campaign for Spider Man that got pulled. I mean, because it was too insensitive. Like, there's a poster, a great one actually, of uh, Tobey Maguire peeking out from between the Twin Towers that uh, that had to get removed because it just didn't, not in time. No. Oof. I mean, I, I could see it getting changed, the ending of this film. I'm glad it wasn't. There actually yeah, is too. an alternate ending, but it doesn't actually change the story. It is just like a slightly different variation of what we already saw. How um, or how much earlier did this come out prior to 9-11? I am actually not sure. In the meantime, actually, I do am aware that this is a remake. It's a uh, Spanish really? film called Open Your Eyes, which actually starred Penelope Cruz as the main character. Oh, wow. It's on Tubi, so I'm, if you want to check it out, 
do with a double feature and decide which one's better, I'd be really curious to hear what you have to say. That's interesting. I like her a lot. She's good in this, too. I think this is the movie that finally got her into the mainstream. Like, I know she did some stuff with Alma DeVar beforehand, beforehand, but this was, I think, one of the first things. This and Blow, which she did with Johnny Depp the same year, were, I think, her big break. I still need to see the Blow. It's on Netflix. I still need to see it, too. Yeah, it dropped on December 14th, 2001. Wow. Like, three months. So, after 2001. Or after, uh, yeah, 9-11. After 9-11, wow. They had to have gotten at least a couple studio notes, but uh, I'm wondering, like, Cameron Grimes, like, Crow's like, no, it'll be fine, trust me. Yeah, I think it was fine. Maybe, I, don't, I don't think it pushed maybe they thought, like, no, this has context, it'll be fine. By the way, I'm not for censoring art like this. I mean, I'm just surprised it didn't happen. No, like, yeah, me, me neither. I'm sure I that like was a very sensitive time. Um, for a no, but going back to, to what you said earlier, um, how I think we're supposed to be disillusioned and um, just confused. I was at, on the opening shot when you could just hear either Penelope Cruz's or Cameron Diaz's okay, voice. I like the opening shot. I like that it ends on him at shot of well, him opening his eyes, like letting yeah. you know, that ambiguity of did he wake up, up or not. I really liked it. I mean, movies that play with your expectations like that. That yeah, that I liked as well. Because um, I think I like that it doesn't spoon feed people. Yes. For a yes. movie of this caliber, with the big Christmas Day release date, big soundtrack, or in pushing like it doesn't pl- and take easy routes, and it actually makes you keep questioning everything. Which that's always one of my pet peeves when it's just spoon fed to you. Yeah, don't treat your audience like they're morons. Yeah, or little kids. Yeah. I mean, people. I mean, people can get it if you just tell them in the right way. I mean, lead them along. Don't spoon feed them like. Like I, I recently rewatched Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and um noticed a couple times where they did that, and it really turned me off to it. But I mean, it, it, it fantastic. Yeah. And is it the parts where they use re- reused dialogue from earlier in the movie? Yes, but also there's uh like they reuse scenes. There's like flashbacks. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I was kind of had like a niggling doubt about that in the back of my mind. Yeah, after after the after the first watch, you'll notice like the flaws of it. Um, I still I still think it's as be- as good as a Blade Runner sequel could have gotten. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, because they made book sequels, which were not great. Have it's you read like, them? Uh, yeah, they're meh. They're what they usually are, basically for profit fan fiction, like the Star Wars expanded universe, mm, and like yeah. video game tie-in novels, that kind of thing. This is a, a total early not twenty thousand seven. 2000s MTV movie, I think. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Not just because of music, but the way it's shot. Because there's a deliberate artifice to the movie. I mean, like all those sky, I mean, skies that are like I mean, the unnatural shades of pink and orange. They're beautiful. beautiful, but they're clearly not there and kind of in his head. It The the first half feels especially poppy, too. Yeah. Very... Which I think is what sows the doubt in your mind, or in mind and actually is what leads you in. That's what I'm really curious to see on a second watch. Yeah, me too. It it feels, I don't know, just too, just too fake. Do you think Kurt Russell's part was introduced a little too early? Yeah. Part with the psychiatrist. Yeah. I can say I watched this with my mom, which, in some ideas, wasn't the right idea. She thought it was okay. <laughs> um, Thankfully, she was out of the room for that. Uh, the scene where the car crash. Oh yeah. Was, the, that would have been a uh, awkward. The actual shot of the car crash was fantastic. Oh yeah, it's really well shot. 
here's the thing is that it's very low scale, but it feels like terrifying. Oh yeah. Which I mean, like car crashes don't or violence in general doesn't need to be explosive to hit you. When you just has to be shot the right way with I think sound design is also what helps with that too. Mm, yeah. Sound. And nothing for me, sticks out in your mind like a bad sound is uh, one of my production professors taught me, and I think I have to completely agree with her on that. I I would as well. I think for me, uh, car crashes are more unsettling when there aren't explosions. Yeah, I agree because they feel more real and visceral. Yeah. Especially when they come out of nowhere. Like there's a, I was not a big fan of a uh, mid '90s. I thought it was okay. Or in game, but I thought there could have been more to it. But there's a car crash near the end of the movie that is one of the most visceral, unpleasant things I think I've ever seen. I still really want to watch that. Yep. It's okay. My brother liked it. Nice. What about casting of this film? The casting, I think, is great. Yeah. I think Penelope Cruz is great. I like Jason Lee. I wish he did more supporting lives like this because he had a very inconsistent career, but I think, I mean, I think when he did stuff like this, he was dead on. I think Cameron Crowe and Kevin Smith were the best guys he ever worked with. Mm, yeah. I, I, I liked him in this film. Um, I think some of his lines were pretty goofy. I wonder how much of that is intentional, though. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll have to find out on a second watch. One time will tell. Or reading but, interviews, which I think is actually more illuminating. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I liked Kurt Russell, but I think the first scene of him, him um, I think as... Could... Yeah, that, that could have been cut. I'm I'm not sure if it should have been cut or just put in later. That's the problem. problem because you kind of need like that thread to lead to lead people on that thread. Yeah, I guess so. I I guess so. Um, I feel like a a lot of this film could be cut out though, um, or just cut down some. It it felt a feel, it I'm felt, trying to figure out what you'd cut. It felt right a little long for me, honestly. It's like two, a little over two hours, right? Yeah. I. I agree that it's the pacing is uneven, and I think is the biggest problem I think I have with it. Mm, yeah, if, it, if they could have corrected the pacing, it could be the same length. Yeah, I do. I do really think the ending is what sticks the landing for this. Yeah, the ending. And is... Not because everything is. Exp- I think that's the mistake. I think that made that scene. In the Matrix re- was it Reloaded or re- or Revolutions? I keep forgetting which one had that scene in it. I think that's the third one. Yeah, I, I think so. Too. Where you explain too much, I think is the problem. And, the thing is, sometimes people think of so many great answers in their head that whatever you give them is bound to disappoint anyway. Exactly. In the aims to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. That's the thing. That's a great way to say it. I'm glad this movie is the way it is because it gives you, it gives you just enough, but it leaves it open-ended enough to where you can keep asking questions and talking. I like any movie that has me thinking about it days after I've seen it. I agree. I agree. Whether I liked it or not. Never it, Even if uh, it's something terrible that I'm still thinking about, like Southland Tales, I'll still have like a, a bit <laughs> of a respect for it. Even if it is like a respect your enemy kind of way. Exactly. Southland Tales, I mean, that stuck with me probably two or three days. I mean, in probably not the best way. Movie with The Rock playing a guy named Boxer Santoros. <laughs> you don't really forget a thing like that. <laughs> also, a pretty jarring use of the N word. I was gonna say everything with Sean William Scott in that movie. Like, I am very uncomfortable around you, sir. <laughs> oh, He's that all... commercial. The... Oh my gosh! Someone got paid to animate that. Two Hummers. Just hope he was well compensated and well giving each other Hummers. I don't. I'm not sure if there's a better way to put that. <laughs> <gasps> Two Hummers fornicating. Oof, it's uh, why? 
how very 2006 Amy Poehler's rail is Oof. rough it's horrible use of Amy Poehler and Justin Timberlake yeah I mean, performance but I mean, his background role is just kind of the ostensible narrator would be just kind of rubbing the wrong way I do really like the scene with the the killer song uh, all these things that because it is a well choreographed musical sequence Actually, it just felt Kelly musical look like oh my gosh it just felt I so did. out of place and like like it served no purpose honestly a lot of the stuff is out of play it's a movie that probably you took the first draft of it and then you shot it they didn't they didn't go back <laughs> in the i mean i'm not saying that's what happened but that's what it feels like it happened yeah it 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 was trying to be a, an apocalypse an I'd apocalypse love to see something like Heart of Darkness or made out of it, like a behind-the-scenes making document. Mm, yeah. What thought process went into this? It, it was trying to be an apocalypse movie and also a satire, but it wasn't too apocalypse. The problem is it takes itself too, too seriously. That's satirical. the thing with satire. If we're doing comedic satire, which this clearly is, it's way too pretentious and up its... It's like the, it's like, uh, the snake eating its own tail, basically. Mm. Yeah. It it kept going back and forth between being serious and, which is what I like about Cameron Crowe in this is because it's not pretentious, it's artsy, but it's not. But it's not. It's like okay, I'm going somewhere with it. No, it it takes but itself like, seriously. And that's why I like about stuff like Almost Famous because Almost Famous is a very comfortable watch for me. Oh yeah, I would consider that a comfort movie. I heard there's like a bootleg cut, not like an actual bootleg because it's on a blue or in Blu-ray that's like has like 40 minutes of footage, and I'd love to see that. Yeah, I honestly enjoyed Almost Famous more than this film. I think I like this one better, but I think that's just more up to personal opinions. But I do really like Almost Famous. Yeah, I would like to watch them both again. I've only seen um, both of them once. Speaking of which, what else have you watched this week? Well, I last night I rewatched Under the Silver Lake, which was amazing, as always. Uh, I showed it to my roommate, and she thought it was pretty weird. Which I, mean, I could not, I could not blame her. It's did you very tell her weird. what it was about, or did she just go in blind? Um, she just went in blind. Uh, oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which was so I was gonna beautiful. Say, that'd probably make a great double feature with this because I was thinking about that too. I'm like, oh uh, yeah, it would. Okay, I have a galaxy brain take. I think I like this more than Eternal Sunshine. I love really? both. But I like this one more. I think this one just hits me the right nerve for me. I it's Eternal Sunshine for me. Um, it's fair. That's entirely fair. I, I was I loved how emotional it was. I think the best things I've watched other than this in the past week or so is uh, From Dust Till Dawn, Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. I also watched uh, Spike Lee's new movie, the Vietnam drama for uh, Netflix, Defy Bloods. Pretty good. Nice, nice. I, that uh, could be an episode in and of itself, but that's a huge maybe because I'm not sure if it's quote unquote weird enough. I also uh, found a movie we might have to cover. You know Blake what Edwards, right? Breakfast at Timonese, the Pink Panther movies. Basically 60s and 70s comedies. Yes. Remember that time you made a thriller? It was a black and white. It's called Experiment in Terror. Basically, I have not heard of that. A movie about a, ba- a bank teller that's bl- being blackmailed into uh, robbing $100,000 or else his her sister will be uh, will be six feet under. It's a really well-made film. Like, the opening credit. And so I'm like, I wonder if David Lynch is a fan of this because this has a very Twin Peaks vibe with with the music and like the opening or the way it's shot. Yeah, we could cover that. It's on the Criterion channel until the end of the month. 
fantastic movie, legitimately well made. It drags a little in the middle, but for the most part, I think it's really well paced and and really well shot too. The camera work, if it weren't for like the costuming and the film stocks and everything, it feels very modern. What's it called? Experiment in Terror. Mm. It leaves the Criterion Channel at the end of the month. If you're interested, give it a watch as soon as possible. You won't regret it. I will do that. I've, I've been wanting to see uh, uh, Cape Fear also. Oh yeah, Cape Fear's on Netflix, by the way. Oh really? Yeah. I need I'm one. Gonna... It's full. I'd love to watch that in the original adult back-to-back. Because I yeah. know both Harvey Mitchum and Gregory Peck, who were in the original, show up in this in different roles. That would be an interesting double feature a remake and the original. I also uh, saw that Pete Davidson movie that dropped. The King of Staten Island. How was that? Pretty good. My usual ju- problems with Judd Apatow were in it. Like, the camera works more boring. It runs too long. Long and probably too improv-heavy. There's a reason I am not fond of these movies, and I'm pretty sure there's a reason studio comedies aren't really a thing anymore. And it's because yeah. of this. It's not like this. That, More so, it's not like Knockout. This was better. Though. Works better as a drama than a straightforward comedy. Oh, really? It was, it was more dramatic? No birth rate in it. No birth. Oh, nice. Definitely not worth the 20 buck rental tag, which I can't believe they actually charged 20 bucks. Did you pay but, that? I'm not the one who paid, but someone paid. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I had a friend um, on it. Yeah. It's okay. It's worth but, a watch. I've, I've, that's, that's just what I've heard about. It's just another Judd Apatow. Um, it's better than a lot movie. of his... It's probably the best thing, he, at least the thing I've enjoyed the most he's made since Funny People. Oh, okay. Or because it actually has, like, more in its mind. Is it really? is it more dramatic? Yeah, more definitely more dramatic. It I can tell it's personal to Davidson, definitely. I'm not the biggest fan of him, so I, I don't have a huge... I, I like he's okay. I like his SNL stuff, and I'm actually really excited to see how the hell he, he plays in the Suicide Squad. Oh, really? He's going to be in Suicide Squad? Yep, he's going to be... I think he's going to be Savant, which... If you have to look him on Wikipedia, don't bother. Or he's a very seedless DC character, but like a, your average hitman mercenary type. Wow. I am willing to bet, considering how big that cast is, and the fact that he tweeted the, the announcement with, don't get too attached, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to die... He's probably going to die early on, and they're going to play for dark comedy, which is probably going to be really cool. When is that movie coming out? August 2021. I'm really excited. It's probably wow. the most excited I am for a current comic book movie, because it seems like the biggest wild card of the bunch. Oh, me too. I also love that he used the logo from the 80s comics for the movie. That was really cool. Yes. Like that old-style typeface with uh, the bullet holes in it. That's really... that That's... I mean, taps all my buttons in all the right ways. <laughs> I read some of the, reread some of the comics from the '80s that are inspiring this one, the John Ostrander run. Good stuff, really good stuff. I'm 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 proud of DC for hiring James Gunn to remake a movie that the they just yeah not more of a soft sequel, I mean, more like a new lineup. Which is think I'm surprised these movies don't do more because comics do that all the time with like team. They really do. They I think that's part of what could keep it fresh. Also, I have I'm, a galaxy brain take that I wanted to share. I'm sorry, we're going so off topic. I just really want to talk about this. No, James no. Used Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy, and I'm really hoping that's on the soundtrack because it would fit the vibe perfectly. That there is a storyline called Jailbreak, so fits. Yeah, that would definitely work. I'm I'm sure the music is going to be fantastic. Yep, he's already got the soundtrack selected, which I can't wait to hear how this sounds because the soundtrack for Super I. I go get people's apprehension of this, which, yes, he did Guardians of the Galaxy, but the guy started out working for Troma. He can get, have a little bit of edge to him. He has nasty. He can do nasty. <laughs> he can do it really well. Seriously, watch Super. It's amazing. 
I mean, especially for like that ham sandwich budget he had. Super. Yeah, it's basically what if Dwight from The Office became the Punisher. I think some YouTube guy summed it up that way. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Wow, that sounds awesome. Yep. It is very dark, much darker than something like Kick-Ass. I mean, Kick-Ass, but it's definitely a different perspective, too, considering how much older the protagonist is. It is, but I still kind of enjoy it. I, gotta... I saw it way too young. Like, I saw oh. that before I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, wow. I should not have seen it that young, but I did anyway. Anyways, what else have you got going on, Jack? All right. So, two days from today, I have a horror anthology book dropping. I didn't write the stories. I did the artwork. But it's called Tales Under the Blood Moon. It's written by uh, my buddy Martin Fisher, who's going to be a guest on the podcast in July. Which I'm ex- very excited uh, to talk to him. Yeah, I'll probably uh, put a link for the book in the bio for this. All right, nice. We'll have the paperback versions uh, ready on the day of release. And June 16th, mark your calendars. That's very good to hear, Jack. I also got another very special project for him, but uh, again, all in due time. Indeed. If nothing else, I'm glad I watched this because it helped. I was having a hard part with a certain part of that project. And then this kind of like had it click for me like, oh, that's what I need to do. I'm like, I took a few that, good notes from this. That works for me too. Whenever I'm feeling um, stuck on a project, I'll watch a movie that I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah because you never know yeah. when it'll inspire. And I think it's fine to admit what you're influenced by. It's honest. Exactly. And it, I think it's pretty and good. And not just the whole great, great art, good artist borrow, great art steal type thing. Or anything. I'm like, one should be acknowledging of their influences. It's, it's, what, it's also a way of staying humble, in my opinion. Yeah. And, like, um, do you believe that nothing is original when it comes to art and um, ideas? Nothing is original in terms of its basic story. It's how it's made. Okay. It's not what's yeah. being told, it's how we're, be- we're seeing it. That's where the originality comes in. I knew it mostly because of De Palma and Tarantino and, C- and John Luc Godard. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tarantino steals a lot. Oh, definitely. But in the most definitely. tasteful ways. But he's not the first one to do it. Like, De Palma lifted li- deliberately from Hitchcock. I'm pretty sure I brought that up. We need to do Body Double at some point. Body Double or Blowout, I'd really be- love to do that. I would be down to do either. Anyway. Anyway. So what would your final rating for this be? I mean... Maybe not final, but... Because the first, wa- first watch, I'd give it a 6.5. I'd give it an 8. Like really? a very solid 8. Like yeah. Eight. I, I'm, 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 I'm sure right. my rating will go up um, upon further viewings. It's definitely distinct, and I can't say there's even anything like it in the mainstream for... All- or even in the indie scene, honestly. I mean, yeah, I would agree. I do think... I wish more movies would use non-linear structure. Not just, like, mainstream, like, crime movies trying to imitate Tarantino. I'm talking about, about like, in general. Yeah. When, when because it's done, non-linear can mean a number of things, like it is here. When it's done tastefully, yeah. I think it really works um, in the mainstream. I think... Like, didn't like you watch mainstream. Repulsion recently? The, Plan- I mean, the Plansky film from the mid-60s. No, I watched uh, Shooter. No, Targets. Oh, yeah, Target. I mean, Targets, which I think I recommended to you. Fantastic film. Yes, it was. It was great. Very dark. Speaking of Sam Fuller, uh, I also watched a film he did with Douglas Sir called Softproof. Pretty standard noir stuff, but it has some good dialogue. I want to watch more noir, especially after seeing so many noir noirs. I'll have to give you a a good list of those. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. 
So Vanilla Sky, give it a watch if you can. I think it's on Stars. Stars. The original's on Tubi. Compare and contrast. I'm really. I think this is a good, a good discussion, man. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I think we covered. I feel like I should have watched it twice before the show. Yeah, the show, me, maybe too. Get... me too. Um, just have a better oh, perspective. But uh, says we can't come back to it later. This is a first viewing, um, response. Yep. Yours is a little more off the cuff. I watched it last weekend. Oh, nice. I watched it. Right now, I wanted to, I wanted to let it sit with me a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes, I mean, because I think we're off the cuff can be a little dangerous. Because I remember when I was Aaron in high school, I remember whenever I'd watch the Marvel movies, I'd always come out excited, like, yes, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. And then I'd think about them for a few days, and then it would go like 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10, 5 out of 10. Uh, I, I, I agree completely. With, I agree completely with that response to the Marvel movies. I'm not saying doubt or in doubt it, just, I mean, just be careful. Yeah. The, like, question. We're in question, I, or I'm like, okay, ask yourself why you feel this way. I watched this film two days ago, um, so yes, but no, there's there's usually a different response, like in the walking out of the theater or having just finished the film, versus I like the play like in theaters. Because this later was actually a pretty big hit. This was. Oh really? Yep. I mean, it made like I don't know two or three times its budget, like production budget. Who knows how much they spent marketing this thing. Yeah, but audience responded well to, to it. Crank's reception was mixed. Roger Ebert liked it quite a bit. Interesting. I'll say this. Th- doing this in Almost Famous makes me want to check out more of Cameron Crowe's work. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the most positive things you can say is like, I want to check out, see more from this guy. I think, you, I'm like, I'm not sure it's too early to call, but I think I'm like, res- me a new favorite for director. Oh, really? Writer director. I mean, because yeah, I think it is the way he approaches music. I think is what gets me. Mm, yeah, it's it's very well done. I I would honestly say that's the best part. Um, from what I've seen of him, it's the strongest. Yeah, I think fear of a lot of directors just using music as wallpapers because they don't want to turn the scene into an out right out and out music video. Which I get that, but Cameron Crowe is able to find that balance, like where it enhances the scene but it doesn't take over the scene. And going at the James Gunn, he also was good at that. Or that with the use of um, in the Chain and Guardians two and a few, Moon Age Daydream in the first one. All of the really music in Guardians is great, spot on. It's one of the reasons I was able to get into music in high school because I remember Awesome Mix was in constant rotation, and then I, it got me into David Bowie, which got me into Iggy Pop, which got me into a lot of other stuff. It's kind of a Rosetta Zone of sorts for my music taste. That's awesome. I would love to. Uh... Like let people. I think we should do a whole episode about soundtracks. I like to. That's that. Because yeah. we also got a very yeah. special episode uh, plan. We're gonna plan that where we don't talk about one movie. Movie, and uh, if you guys like it, just let us know. We'll probably do more. Yeah, more like uh, special episodes. Yep. Special bonus. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's just at Warp Celluloid. If you want to contact us, just type Warp Celluloid Podcast at gmail.com. You can buy my book. Just look up Tales Under the Blood Moon on Amazon. There's a Kindle version up right now for pre-order. You can order the physical version on uh, June 16th, like two days from now. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. A couple weeks, it's already out. Oh, yeah. As, In which case, as, hello from the future. Has things got any better yet? <laughs> no? Oh, well. Is what it is. Yep, 2020. Oh, yeah. Anyways, you can find me on Letterbox. 
It's just Chandler Williams. Same, just Jack Rourke. Yep. Anyway, thank you for listening. Peace. <laughs>